Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz and my guest today is Wade Foster. He is the CEO and one of the co-founders of Zapier. It is a very, very cool tool that you've, if you're a longtime reader of mine, you know I've talked about. It's that glue that holds a lot of things together that should talk that for some reason don't. Uh, In fact, I think uh, integrations. I know that I was a huge proponent and saw that integrations were going to be it. They were going to be it for everything. And they kind of democratized, is that a word? Uh, integrations and, and really made them accessible and, and in some ways helped a lot of these tools that we use out to uh, kind of up their game because they now could integrate. So, Wade, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me, John. I'm, I'm super excited to, to be on the show. So, what a great story, Zapier, uh, quite frankly. Uh, you know what? I keep calling it Zapier, but you guys call it Zapier, don't you? Yeah, we do. Zapier makes you happier. Yeah, there, okay. Now I'll, not, <laughs> now I'll never forget. I'm just so hooked into the API thing, so that's why. Yeah, I, I that was, saying. you know, we our old logo used to have the API piece in gray, right? Yeah. And it was kind of like a subtle nod to, you know, APIs being the way that you build integrations. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that that's maybe why. But now Zapier, happier. That's great. That's yeah. like when people ask me my name, I always say, because I've got it really funky spelling i say it's jance like pants <laughs> there we go yeah and they never forget it so um we're going to talk about a, a lot of the things that you guys have done that relate to content and seo and marketing standpoint but i i want to go back even farther than that um you know i we were talking off air you and i started talking maybe just as you were rolling this out and you guys didn't have any customers you barely had a product you were trying to figure mm-hmm. it out like a lot of startups right yep. um and one of the things that i remember us talking about that i thought you did that was more companies should do is is you knew there was kind of a problem uh, mm-hmm. in, in integrations, right? That was pretty obvious. But I think that you you actually started going out and finding some of your customers and your ideas by just kind of trolling forums and and finding like where people were screaming the loudest. Do you want to talk a little about that? Yeah. So you know, integrations has been a problem long before Zapier you know came around. This was something that you know you, you go back you know, decades pass and people were trying to figure out how to get like IBM stuff to talk together. And then it was Microsoft stuff to talk together. So it's not like we were doing anything particularly new and novel, except for the approach was interesting because we were building more of like an all in one thing where you can get all your integrations in one spot. Right. Um, but the thing is we didn't have the all in one piece right at the beginning. It's like, we just needed to start with like What's the thing that is going to help some people that we can reach today, right? Um, so that's where we found um, – we did a couple – we did two things at the beginning. We built our Zap directory, um, which if you go to zapier.com slash zapbook, you can see the full list of apps we support today. And it's like 700 apps. It's huge today. But, you know, wind the clock back five years, and there was maybe like – a dozen. Um, and they weren't actually fully supported. These were just apps that we thought people might want. It was like MailChimp and Zendesk and Twitter, right? Things that were really popular that just seemed like, you know, someone's going to want this. And so what we did was we would go to the forums of these apps. We find in the, you know, the help forum, someone would say, you know, hi rise, why aren't you guys building a Google context, you know, integration? And there would be, you know, Dozens of comments. In fact, I remember the high-rise Google Contacts one was several hundred comments of people saying, we would love this. We want this so bad. Um, And we would just put in the comments, you know, hey, you could build this yourself with the API, or if you want, you can 
uh, check out Zapier. We're working on a project where you can do this. And we would link to the specific page that we had built for high-rising Google Contacts. So um, they would come to that page and see, like, oh, this is exactly what I'm looking for. And then they could dump an email address in. And then we knew that was validation for us that that high-rise Google Contacts integration might be of some use to some folks. Yeah, and that's a great example, too, because 37 Signals was notoriously – they had passionate fans, but they were notorious about saying, we're not adding any features. You know, this is it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. They, you know, And they're not the only ones. They're certainly the most public about it, yeah. but they're like – we like our product the way it is. We right. think we have strong opinions about where we're going to go, and we'll say no to people. And integrations was often an area that they said no. That's great. So one of the other things you did that I think was unique in the startup phase was there are a lot of companies that get started with a, please give us your email address. <laughs> you know, you could be a member um, or sign up, and you know they kind of have the smoke screen. You know, limited beta, but you know that means anybody who gives them their email address. You guys were charging at a point for the privilege to be mm-hmm. in your beta, and I quite frankly remember this because I think I paid ten dollars yeah. uh, to to be in the beta. So was that a? I mean, was there a strategy behind that, or did somebody just say we ought to do this and try it? Yeah, you know, I think the strategy was that we wanted, we had limited time and resources. We were in Missouri, so we're not getting like loads of venture funding. So we can't, you know, subsist off someone else's dime. So from our standpoint, we wanted to build something that was valuable right out the get-go. We wanted to build something that people cared enough to pay for. So if we put that, you know, sign up for the privilege of using our beta right there, we knew, yes, we're going to limit the amount of people we're talking to. But honestly, we don't have enough time to talk to everybody. Like, we would much rather have, you know, five or ten people who are going to pay us a little bit of money and spend a lot of time helping us out than have hundreds of just kind of tire kickers come by and, you know, kind of, you know, pick over the app and be like, oh, I wish you had this random feature or that random feature or whatever, but it's not really serious. Um, so that just that small amount of money, right? 10 bucks is nothing, right? Um, really helped us get in contact with people who cared about this problem. And then we could use them to fuel our product feedback and development cycles and stuff like that. Um, and, and it really helped us hone in to the right target customer instead of just, you know, anybody on the Internet. Yeah, and so much easier to upgrade somebody who's already given you money. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Totally. So you are essentially a – would you consider yourself a product company or a service company? Uh, we're definitely a product company for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, well, the reason I asked you that is because – you could debate that in some ways, <laughs> I think, because what you're really doing is enabling services to talk to each other. So certainly it's a software, uh, but, I, you know, it's a software as a service, uh, yeah. so to speak. So Yeah, it is. So. Um, so as a product company, identifying as a product company, not every product company makes uh, a living in the marketing space uh, via content and mm-hmm. SEO. but. Um, how, what would you say to the very broad question of how contact or or a, a I said contact mm-hmm. how content or a, a conscious effort to really go after content has has impacted your service business your product business? I I mean I'd say it's the most important thing we've done honestly um, yeah. <laughs> well, 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 so was that because you didn't have money to do anything else, or was that a hey if we write lots of great content? People will come. Well, I mean, what so, what was the strategy? If you 
if you rewind the clock back, you know, five years, um, integrations weren't super common. Um, you know, th you know, MailChimp had like an integrations directory, so they had some going on. Salesforce, of course, had their app exchange. Uh, there wasn't as many apps, you know, that out there. Slack didn't exist five years ago. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not even. It's just. It's still three, two, three years down. Um, and so integrations isn't something that a lot of folks are thinking about, um, or they, they were thinking about them, but they didn't exist. Yeah, I mean, I and think so, if, you, if you felt like you were cutting edge, you were, I mean, a new, new app or software was coming online every <laughs> week, right? Yeah. And I think there were a lot of people saying, okay, I want to try this, I want to try this. But then all of a sudden we found that, well, there's, there's no way to get these things to talk. So you're right. I mean, I, I think people were starting to think about it. They just didn't know how to address it. Exactly. So like we knew that there was a need for these, these integrations. Um, and so instead of the way we decided to think about getting the word out about Zapier was with landing pages. You know, we wanted landing pages for the integrations that mm -hmm. we supported. Mm -hmm. And so we built out kind of a semi-automated way to spin up these landing pages for all the different combinations of integrations that we could support. And at the time, there wasn't very many um, you know, when you did a Google search for, you know, PayPal or HiRise together, um, you know, you'd wind up on like a forum that had a PHP script or something. Um, so there wasn't a ton of competition for a lot of that stuff yeah. in search. So we knew that just by having pages that did this thing and having good content on the pages, nice images, they're well-structured, good HTML, um, we were going to start ranking decently. Uh, and so that's kind of why we went that route, because we knew we could get you know, good good rankings organically. We could get some links to those pages. And then we could build a, you know, a bigger content strategy around our blog and learn down the road. Um, but when we didn't have to have that up front to still get the directory working. Yeah, and what's, what's so brilliant, of course, about that model, I mean, not everybody has, has the opportunity to, to kind of tap that, but was your partners then were incentivized to promote and talk about you? Because in a lot of ways... For many of them, you were making their product more useful uh, yeah. by you know by virtue of what you were doing. But then, as you were writing about how to use it and make their product more useful, they were certainly incentivized to promote and share and link. Right? Exactly. Right. Um, and so you get from from for us, like you know, when you think about search and you think about content, one of the most valuable things you can get is a link, um, especially from a high profile site. So you know, we're talking about companies like Mailchimp like 37 signals who have been in the business for, you know, a decade. Um, they have this, you know, they have, these are great, great brands and great companies and they're sitting there writing about Zapier, linking back to us and saying, this is a site that has some authority in Google's eyes. Um, and so that just helps surface us up in the rankings even more. What's the competitive landscape for what you're doing now? I mean, we talked about how you did something that didn't exist um, I'm certainly familiar with uh, IFTTT, uh, mm -hmm. if this, then that. Um, is there anybody else that you would consider direct competitors today? Sure. So, um, you know, there's there's not a lot. Um, you know, Microsoft launched a Flow product this summer, uh, but it's still really, really new um, in its infancy. So it, I don't hear a lot of our customers considering that over Zapier, uh, but it does exist. Um there's, you know, some smaller kind of copycat type folks that have popped up trying to mimic Zapier. But honestly, where we get our most, um, I guess, direct competition is from native integrations, you yeah, know. Right. Um, 
it's MailChimp decides, hey, it's really important for us to have a, a dedicated Salesforce integration. And so now we split the market with them for the MailChimp Salesforce integration. But honestly, for us, that's fine because we're going to get, you know, the rest of the integrations that MailChimp doesn't support, right? Um, yeah. So yeah. Uh, we kind of, you know, our, our, our partners both compete with us, but they also collaborate with us. And we just kind of have, you know, uh, I guess you, you get used to it, right? Yeah. <laughs> Well, and one of the things that I love about what some of your integrations do is you're actually extending the functionality beyond what uh, a product or service was really, in some cases, even designed to do. Um, and I, and so it's it's kind of almost like if you can imagine it, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, you you can make it happen. And I and I think that that's what uh, that's got to be a lot of what you know the 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 kind of huge growth. Uh, yeah, it is. You know, we launched in February multi-step zaps, right? Which right. allows you to chain these actions along. You can build out these full workflows that automate really kind of key stuff in your business, which when you think about a direct integration, they're a lot of times a lot more simple. You know, just push this to there or something like that, but it's not really, you know, tying together kind of an end-to-end workflow, which is what Zapier is more and more. We're doing more and more of that. Yeah. Um, you know, over over this year, we launched that in February, and that's where a big chunk of our growth has come from this year. It's that point in the show where I'm going to tell you that this episode is brought to you by Magic Jack for Business. It is a really cool new way to do phones. Phoning for a small business, for a salesperson, it's your lifeline. Get an unbeatable phone service. Get the reliability of a phone service for much, much less. Magic Jack for Business is like taking your phones to the cloud. You get state-of-the-art technology, whether you need one line or 50. Check it out at magicjackforbusiness slash duct tape, and you're going to get two free months because you're a listener of mine. And if you're one of the first 100 to sign up, you're going to get a free phone too. So check it out at magicjackforbusiness.com slash duct tape. I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, is, are there any apps or companies that have said, go away? You know, we don't want you messing with our API. Um, you know, there, there's been uh, very few, yeah. uh, but there has been. So um, it, it mostly happens with these big consumer social networks, right? So like LinkedIn, um, notoriously, about a year right. ago, turned off access to a lot of their APIs for almost all their partners. Yeah. Um, you know, I think maybe Microsoft and, and Salesforce kept access. Now, of course, LinkedIn is part of Microsoft, so we'll see what happens huh. now. Um, but they didn't want anyone building off of, of LinkedIn um, because they value the data of LinkedIn. That's yeah. kind of their, their principle. I guess that's what they think is most valuable, makes LinkedIn most valuable. Well, I think that's why Microsoft bought them. I think you'd be right. <laughs> it's not because you and I are on there. Yeah, that's um, for sure. <laughs> so you had you when when we were talking about doing this interview, you had mentioned this idea of scalable SEO. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if you could kind of riff on that for a bit. Sure. So you know, there's there's kind of two pieces to it. Um, when I think of scalable, I think of like. How can you get, um, you know, lots of, you know, pages indexed by Google for various keywords, right? Um, and, and involve as, as little kind of hu- human effort as you possibly have to. Uh, you know, at some point in time, humans do have to be involved because humans have to write content. 
they're the best at it still. You know, it's hard to get machines to write good human natural language and things like that. But when you think of like big e-commerce sites, you know, Amazon, for example, huge site, they have pages for every single product that they, they exist. And so, and their community being their sellers are making these pages for them. Right. Um, so now as an organization, anytime these new products come up, Amazon has this really great page. They're pulling in reviews from all the people that are reviewing, which is getting more really high quality content on the page. They've got the screenshots of the item, um, there, but Amazon, the employees themselves are doing relatively little in terms of constructing that page. That page is mostly just a, a framework. It's a template, um, that exists. Um, and so I think that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about scalable content is finding ways that you can inject lots of similar types of things, right? Like a category of thing. In Amazon's case, it's a product. In Zapier's case, it's this connection between two apps. Um, you know, other companies that do this well, like Yelp has their review listing, right, of, an, of a, you know, a restaurant or a business. Um, that's the kind of stuff where you, you want to get to a point where your organization can use some sort of external function, whether it's, you know, your community, whether it's, um, you know, scraping something, some external sources, um, some internal data that your app just generates by itself, um, and can automatically start or semi-automatically creating lots of landing pages, tons and tons of landing pages and rank for keywords for these various sorts of stuff. Because now you get... Um, you don't have to worry about ranking for these like really high, like really competitive keywords. You can start ranking for these keywords that nobody's trying to compete for, but, but because you can spin up landing pages so cheaply, you're going to get the tra traffic for all of them. And, and, um, you, and you're doing that. You started out at least doing that primarily with all of the various services, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then you can use, um, you know, some of your, your, uh, like your, your creative time, like we have a team of writers uh, to really kind of amplify what you're doing there by going deep on specific areas. Um, so for us, what we found over time with our blog and our learn, which is where you'll find a lot of our long form writing where it is really manual, but we're going really deep on big top, big kind of that the headier keywords, you can dig deep in that area. So for us, it's all about apps and productivity between those apps. Like how can you get the most out of these apps? What are the best apps for these sorts of functions? Um, and that sort of stuff. And so you'll often find Zapier has posts that are like, what's the best note-taking app out there? Mm -hmm. We have this, you know, big 5,000, 10,000 word guide that reviews, you know, dozens of note-taking apps and really goes into the ins and outs of them. Um, and that post ranks for best note-taking app. And so we get all the traffic for people who are searching for note-taking apps over time. Um, so you can use that then to amplify what you're doing in some of your other areas. So for us, like we're a, a product that sells integrations. We have all these services and these landing pages. But within we're using our kind of our manual time really strategically and going after these headier, heady um, keywords, the head keywords. One of the things, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I feel like you guys have done, and I preach this all the time, but it's hard to get in people's heads. Most people try to optimize for the solutions that they provide. Mm -hmm. And most 
quite frequently people don't i mean if they knew what the solution if they knew what solution they should be looking for they wouldn't probably have as big a problem as they have <laughs> yeah. um, and and so i think a lot of organizations do quite well when they optimize for the problems yeah and so when somebody says i can't blue blah 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 you know they they aren't they don't know yet what the solution is so they can't go look mm-hmm. for it and i feel like you guys did a really good job at optimizing for the stuff people said i can't get this done yeah, so this is I call this this is two different things, right? I call this demand harvesting versus demand generation, right? Mm-hmm. Demand harvesting is just saying there is a problem, there's a known problem, people have this problem, they're searching for solutions in some known way. There's a channel ex- that exists where people buy these things. So let's just get our stuff into those channels. Um and let's just talk to people the way that they're already talking about this stuff, right? Um, so there's, there, you don't have to create your own new marketing space or marketing channels or anything like that. You just, you know, go inject yourself right into those channels and you start getting traffic and sales and conversions and all the stuff that you need. Whereas demand, uh, generating is a lot harder, yeah. right? This is where you're creating a whole new market. You know, a company that did this fantastically, of course, is HubSpot, right? They created this term inbound marketing, of course, but that took them a lot of time and effort and years to create that sort of space, right? Um, and a lot of dollars and money. And of course, now that's super valuable to them because their brand is associated with this entire, like it's, it's associated with online marketing. They basically rebranded online marketing to inbound marketing and they own it now. Yeah. Um, but when you're a young company, that's very expensive and difficult to do. Right. So it's much easier just to go to where the customers are today and go get them. Um, a lot of companies do a great job at the at content that gets people to know them, gets you know, gets people to sign up for their newsletters. Do you you know ultimately though you 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 want to get that thirty five bucks a month or sure. know, whatever mm-hmm. program is? Do you use content in a different way to convert than you do to just get people to say, "Hey, we're here, we have great stuff." Yeah, th- this was a tough one, um, and it's tough for us, too. I think we've gotten better at it over time, um, but I-, I don't know that we've nailed it. Um, you know, if you go read the history of the Zapier blog, you can see it was me starting uh, to write mostly about the company. Yeah. And I talk about our company's progress, you know, how we were doing as a company and things like that. But ultimately, and, and so that got traffic. We'd get kind of like these spikes in traffic. Um, when I'd write something that seemed to struck a, strike a chord, but there wasn't much of a strategy behind it. It was just kind of like, hey, what's kind of new and cool at Zapier? Um, and the people, the three founders behind Zapier. But over time, I realized, you know, Zapier, like the, what we're doing in our startup's journey isn't really what's interesting to our customers. We're kind of different people. And so I heard this story from um, some of the marketing team at Twilio where they said, talk about your customers, make your customers the heroes, right? Talk about what makes them successful. So that's kind of where we tilted the strategy a little bit. And I started going out and interviewing some of our most successful um, users and asking them, like, how are you using Zapier? What tools are you using alongside of Zapier? And started evangelizing the tools that weren't just Zapier, but the other tools as part of their workflow. So we would talk, I remember an early one where we talked about how Kissmetrics was doing some really cool stuff with webinars using Unbounce and GoToWebinar and, uh, and AWeber. Uh, and so I really put, you know, Unbounce, GoToWebinar, and AWeber front and center in this post. And I talked about how, you know, 
this really cool webinar automation process that they use had generate like increased their conversion rates. Um, I think it was maybe 30 or 40%. Like it was pretty meaningful to them. And as a result, that, that kind of, that made me realize people really want to know just how to improve their business. Right. Um, and now they were looking, when you write a post like that, they see, okay, here's these tool cool, these cool tools that I can use, like Unbounce, GoToWebinar, AWeber. But what lucked out for us is Zapier played a small part in that process. And yeah. so people who were running webinars then would say, well, maybe I can figure out my own way to set this up. But right here, I have the template. I can just copy Kissmetrics. Kissmetrics is a great company. Um, they're probably doing webinars pretty good. So let's just copy their process. And so they would come to the post, see what's written there, and then would just they would just take it because yeah. it works. It's good. Yeah. Um, you just became so, a, you just became a part of the transaction at that point. Exactly, and we didn't you know push Zapier down their throat. Right. It's just a it's just you know a one sentence in the thing that says yeah. Zapier fulfills this little piece of the pie, right? right. right. And so that realization kind of tilted our strategy. And so now when we think about our content, we're talking about how can we push our apps, our, our partners' apps out there? Like, yeah. what, what can we do to talk about how they're being successful? What makes, you know, Typeform so awesome? What makes Slack so awesome? What mm-hmm. makes, you know, QuickBooks good for accounting? What makes these apps key apps that you should be using as, your, as part of your business? Which really helps because we're not, we're a third party to, you know, Typeform or QuickBooks or Infusionsoft or any of these companies. And so we can talk with a little bit of authority about why they're good versus if that story was coming directly from them. So people believe us when we say, you know, Typeform is a really good service. You should check it out. Um, And then, of course, when they start getting to using Typeform a lot, they're naturally going to need to connect it to other stuff. And because they, you know, know us through us introducing them to Typeform, they think about using us for integrations. And so that's that's how it happens. Um, you know, I think like all of us, we wish that conversion point came a little bit quicker and was a little, you know, faster. Um, but it, it works. Um, you know, it takes time, but it works. One of the ironic things I suspect, and again, I'm just <laughs> guessing here, um, about your conversion is that, you know, you, talk, you mentioned Slack and Typeform and some companies that a lot of people think are awesome. Mm-hmm. I suspect you make more of your money from some of the companies that people don't think are so awesome. And what I mean by that is that they're a little old school, they don't their their product is a little confusing and so integrations are actually harder and more important in some ways and I'm not going to mm-hmm. make you name any names but if you, <laughs> Uh, I can tell you, you know, I know a couple for sure that, you know, that, that don't add a lot of features and are inflexible and they're a little old school. And I suspect you may, you ultimately at the end of the day make more money from that type of company than you do from, say, a type form that is just beautiful and works great. Yeah. I mean, there's, it's kind of a middle ground. It's like, because if an app is, you know, too old and too clunky, of course, no one uses it, right? Yeah. Um, it's these apps that are kind of in that, you know, certainly in that middle territory where it's really good and it does a thing really, really well, but maybe it's missing a piece. You know, maybe it's not quite as good as it could be. Um, and that's really where Zapier does really well because we fill in the blanks that are that are kind of missing for them. So, yeah, that's definitely a case um, uh, is that there's these apps that are like good at one function, but... They don't, they don't branch out too much. Um, they don't help you hook into these other areas. And so Zapier really does um, kind of get a lot of usage from, from people in the, that are using those types of apps. 
Have you found, and, and I'll end this with this question, and then I, I do want to, I do want, I know people are very interested in this idea of your, your distributed team and how mm-hmm. that functions, but have you found that there are some apps that have actually looked to uh, Zapier and said, hey, we don't have to build some of these things. We'll build on the back of Zapier. So in other words, we'll, 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 we'll actively tell people, go here if you want this to work with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we definitely have. Um, I think probably our, our best kind of success story around this is um, a developer, a guy named Moritz, who runs this company, Mailparser.io, from France. Um, and, Mail, and Moritz has a team of, I think, three or four people, and he built this app that parses your email. So if you get, like, you know, receipt emails, it'll parse out, you know, um, the product and the price and you know send it to QuickBooks or something like that um, but what makes that product so valuable is when you can hook it into a tool like Zapier and send that data to somewhere else because just having a parsed email doesn't really do anything for you right, um, right. you need that information to go somewhere um, so he actively encourages people to use mail parser besides Zapier alongside of it and then he found that that was so successful, he started thinking about what other sorts of things can I do that fit this similar paradigm that hook into Zapier in ways that maybe Zapier isn't supporting or there's not apps out there that are doing these types of things. And so he ended up building another tool that you know kind of ties into his parsing ability, which is called Doc Parser. And so now you can parse like a PDF or a Word document. Um, that you might get. So if you get these templated PDFs from a vendor all the time, you can go through and parse that stuff out. Uh, send it into you know QuickBooks or a CRM or mail, an email marketing tool or something like that. Um, so yeah, it's definitely the case where people kind of are, are seeing Zapier and it's like, how can I, you know, things that are missing from Zapier, what can I build around that, hook into Zapier and tap into a whole new market that um, maybe hasn't, isn't being well served. So as I said, let's uh, let's you've you've always been a remote team, um, uh, you know, from having developers in different places. Uh, I think your your co-founders, you all started in the same place. Yeah, we did, but Zapier started as a, a side project, yeah. right? So you don't have an office then; you just you know yeah. work when you have the time to work on it. Yeah. And you're now a team of fifty five, and yep. so I wonder if you have any advice for those startups who who now look at this remote or distributed model as being very attractive but maybe coming with some of its own challenges or at least not a whole lot of roadmaps to go by yeah um i have a quite a bit of advice um you can should we just do a whole nother show on this yeah right (laughs) Um, in fact we actually have a book if you want to check it out zapier.com slash learn there's a book that has a whole bunch of stuff on running a remote team so that's where you can dive into the nitty-gritty. Yeah. But I would say the one piece that is most important is to make sure that all the information and communication, as best you possibly can, is happening transparently. Um, so use tools like Slack and Trello and GitHub and comment on your work and tell people what's going on. Um, that way, you know, when you go to sleep and you're, you know, coworker is just waking up on the other side of the world, they can quickly, you know, scan through Trello or scan, scan through Slack and see, ah, okay, here's what Wade did today. Um, if I need access to that thing, I know what he did, where it's at, I can do it and I can just, you know, do my job, right? Um, when you get into really big trouble is when, 
you know, you can't find what you need to do to do your job. Um, So I think really being transparent with communication and documentation, things like that, uh, really makes remote work kind of tick. It's actually, as I listen to you describe that, that's actually the genesis of blogging. I don't know if you're familiar with that story or not, but uh, it was actually the, the software tool um, and the way that it could be syndicated using uh, you know, RSS was created by some uh, software engineers that worked remotely, mm. and they wanted to use it as a tool to uh, – it was actually called a weblog um, mm-hmm. instead of before we shortened it to blog, and it was a way for them to do updates on – what work had been done, you know, on the software program that they were working on remotely, and uh, uh, somewhere somebody said, "Hey, you know, this is a great publishing tool." <laughs> How about like, that? You know, that's funny because we actually have an internal blog yeah. at Zapier that we use exactly for that. Every Friday, people publish a, a Friday update to our company blog that says, "Hey, here's what I worked on this week. Here's what I got going on next week. Here's some fun stuff I'm doing this weekend." Uh, that sort of thing. So I didn't realize that that was the origin, but uh, that's what we're still using it for. (laughs) Awesome. Well, Wade, it was so great to catch up and amazing, amazing success of Zapier. Um, I couldn't be happier. Like I said, I'm (laughs) an early supporter and and just it's really great to see that. I mean, you took an idea uh, and made it uh, made it happen, made it very successful. I didn't ask you if you're making any money, but I'm just going to assume you are. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's going well, and I'm so excited to get to be on the show. I've been a long-time fan of yours. I don't know if I, I think I mentioned to this when we had coffee way back then, but Duct Tape Marketing, the book, the original book, that's what that's where I got my start. That's that right. and I was reading Seth Godin. Those, yeah. you, those are the two books. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, your entire success can be traced back to Duct Tape Marketing. I think it can. You can put that on the website. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. Uh, we'll wait. Hopefully next time you're coming back this way into the Midwest, uh, we can catch up. Sounds great, John.